A road trip to a national park? A lake adventure? A beach escape? How does that sound? Are you ready to travel again? COVID-19 has upended global travel. The virus has forced travel restrictions on nearly 90% of the world's population for the first time in history. Airlines and hotels, basically anything connected to tourism, has been hit hard. When COVID brought all non-essential travel to a halt, Airbnb lost billions in just a few months. And in early May, they had to lay off a quarter of their workforce, nearly 1,900 people. But now, just over a month later, things are starting to look different for the company. They're seeing a huge jump in domestic vacation bookings as people choose small town getaways over big city destinations. What does that mean about the economy, big picture? And does it mean Airbnb may go public this year after all? I ask Airbnb co-founder and CEO Brian Chesky, who's no stranger to leading a company through crisis. He launched Airbnb in 2008, in the middle of the Great Recession. And now he's guiding it through another economic crisis. I'm Poppy Harlow, and today on a special bonus episode of Boss Files, we talk about the future of travel with Brian. We also talk about racism in America. What does he think his role is in combating racism and creating truly equal opportunity for all? Here's my conversation with Airbnb co-founder and CEO, Brian Chesky. Brian Chesky, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. You have a better pulse on travel and the the broader economy than than almost anyone else. So let's just begin with this. Are people traveling again? They are, um, especially in the United States. You know, a couple months ago, travel um, really did come to a global standstill. I had never seen anything like it in the 12 years since we started Airbnb. We started Airbnb in the global recession, and though we were really small, I know enough to say this was so much worse than 2008. And it wasn't clear when people would travel again. And to our surprise, over the last month, people collectively across the United States have said that they're feeling stuck in their house and they want to get out. And the evidence of that is that between um, May 17th and June 6th, a three-week period, we had as many people use Airbnb as that period of time one year ago. So clearly people want to travel again. But there are some differences. They don't want to get on airplanes yet at nearly the same rate. They don't want to cross borders and go to other countries. But what they are willing to do is to get into cars and they're willing to drive, you know, up to a couple hundred miles away to small communities and you know, stay in Airbnbs. And we don't think this means there's a travel recovery um, because this could be pent up demand. But we do think that says that people do want to travel. Okay, so a few weeks ago, like three weeks ago, you used the words potential economic depression about the state of the U.S. economy. Do you still feel like that? I mean, what does this tell you about the broader economy? I mean, I I certainly I want to qualify by saying I'm not an economist, um, obviously, but it does suggest to me. Well, I can speak for travel. I'll speak for travel. Travel is one of the largest industries in the world. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry. And I think what we've learned about travel are two things. The first thing we've learned is that travel is resilient. I think the travel industry and people's desire to travel is more resilient than any of us thought even just four or five weeks ago. That may be true of the broader economy. I'll allow others to to opine on that. But the second thing that I think we've learned is that I do think travel is forever altered. 
I don't think travel will look like it did last year ever again. None of us quite know what it will look like, but we do feel like this has been such a profound change that some changes will be more permanent. And some of those changes may include people traveling to more smaller destinations and discovering new places to stay. And that's one of the things we're seeing. And so one of the, one of the new pieces of news we have is that we are now partnering with local governments and destination marketing organizations to promote uh, destinations that want more travel. So, for example, we just did a partnership with the National Parks Foundation. There are over 400 national parks in the United States. Most Americans live within a couple hundred miles of a national park, and yet most people have not yet visited a national park. We are seeing signs that will be a lot of interest for national parks this summer, and so we're going to work with the national parks to promote very popular parks on Airbnb and Airbnbs around them. So these are some of the things we think are going to happen. People are going to want to travel more local. They're going to want to be more outdoors in smaller mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. And I think those things, those are going to be like changes you're going to see for a longer period of time. Two health-related questions, because COVID yeah. is nowhere near over. So A, right. do you have concerns that as people travel more and use your platform to travel more, they could be getting sick and they could be making other people sick? Do you think about that? And B, how do I know the Airbnb I'm renting is as clean as a hotel room would be, right? Uniform safety in terms of sanitizing these homes. Our number one priority is health and safety. So I am very concerned about this. Um, And so uh, one of the things we're seeing is not only are people knocking on airplanes, but they're not yet going to cities. People are saying they don't want to be in crowds. They don't want to be in lines, but they're willing to get in a car and they're willing to go to Um, a less dense area and stay in a home. So we feel like there's a certain amount of travel that's responsible and we're comfortable promoting that, but we want to make sure they're responsible and helping take precautions. Now, as far as making sure that the stays are clean, we just announced a partnership with the former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And what we developed was an enhanced cleaning protocol. What it really means is that we're working with our host, we have millions of hosts, providing education resources for them to learn about the proper cleaning protocols on Airbnb. And then if you go through a quiz and they pass it, we'll give them a badge on their listing so you can see which homes have hosts that have gone through that cleaning protocol program. We've also made some other guidelines like wait one day between the time the last guest has checked out and the time the next guest has checked in. This presumably one day can provide some protection um, from the last guest checking out. And so these are some of the things we're doing. I'll just say one other thing, which is even before COVID, 94% of guests who left review left a four or five-star review for, for cleanliness on Airbnb. So we already had a pretty decent foundation, but we're trying to go much further. So Brian, you no longer think we're heading to an economic depression. That's a good thing. Um, But a few weeks ago, it was off the table, it sounded like from you, that Airbnb would would go public this year. But now it doesn't sound like it's off the table. Will Airbnb IPO this year? It's not off the table, but we're definitely not committing to anything right now. So um, we're going to keep our options open. You know, one of the things I've, (laughs) I've learned, and I think a lot of us have learned the last few months, is that things happen very, very quickly. And Maybe they're not as good as they seem. They're yeah. probably not quite as yeah. bad as they seem. But you have, we have to, I think we have to be very, very careful trying to forecast what the role will look like at the end of the year, mm-hmm. let alone August or September. So sure. we're kind of playing it a little more month to month, a little bit longer to see what the market looks like and to see what the travel industry will look like. 
You um, actually, the reason when I reached out to you first um, to your team to have you on, it's because yeah. I read the letter um, that you wrote to your team on May fifth about yeah. the layoffs and having to cut twenty five percent of your employees, almost nineteen hundred people. I was so struck by the way you did it and what you wrote and your transparency and your candor. Um, before I ask about how you did it, I want to know if this turnaround-ish means you might be able to bring some of those folks back. I certainly hope so. Um, when we did the layoff, which was the hardest and really saddest thing I've ever had to do as CEO of Airbnb, we told our, our people that were leaving that we would love to have them back. Uh, they, they, they opted into a kind of like alumni program. And um, whenever we have job openings, we told them that we're going to send the openings to them first. And I, do wanted, I did want to set expectations that even if we see signs of recovery, we have to be very, very careful that there could be a second dip. And we are seeing some early signs in the United States, but we're in 190 countries. Yeah. There's all, quite a few countries that have not seen meaningful recovery and so we need to be very cautious about um, how we forecast the next, the rest of the year. So that's what I would say about that first topic. Understood. And then, yeah, so, yeah, and then yeah just the way you did it for people who haven't read the letter, 14 plus weeks of severance, healthcare for a year, helping people find a new job, letting them keep their laptop, right? Because like without that, how are you going to find a new job? It costs you guys a lot more money than if you just went the typical corporate route. And I'm wondering why you did it that way. And if anyone, any investors advised you not to and said, you don't have to do this, Brian, it's a, it's a pandemic. Yeah, well, um, I've, I've learned something in the hard way in a crisis. You have two choices. You can make a business decision or you can make a principle-based decision. And a business decision is a decision you make assuming you can optimize the very best outcome. And those are really hard to do in crisis because the world's so uncertain that it's really just too hard to predict what the reaction to your actions will be. And so sometimes you got to make a principal decision, a decision where you really ask yourself, what's most important? How do you want to be remembered during this crisis? And what we said is that how we want to be remembered was doing everything we could for those that were getting laid off in a economic recession or worse. And so we did everything what we felt like we could do. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think you just kind of, we, we really started from first principles. And one of the things that I was very proud of is in addition to um, the, what we did on severance and other things, we dedicated a percentage of our recruiting team to solely focus on helping the employees that got laid off find new jobs. And we are still doing that. And we published a directory. Very few companies had done this before. I don't, and I think it's, you know, I think hopefully more companies aspire to do this. Any employee could opt in to publish their LinkedIn and their contact info. And over 300,000 people visited their profile pages. And so I'm very optimistic that many of them will find employment if they're looking for it. So, you know, I, I think it goes back to like your principles. And I think a crisis is an opportunity for you to kind of really demonstrate what you believe in. To, to that point about what do you stand for and what do you believe in, I, uh, it's really, I think, important for us to spend some time talking about what has happened in this country in the last three weeks since yeah. the killing of George Floyd um, and the role of corporate America and leaders in, in all of this. Let, let me just start with this. Um, Darren Walker, who's the president of the Ford Foundation, 
told the New York Times, quote, corporate America has failed black America. Do you think he's right? Yeah, I know. I, I know Darren. Um, I know Darren and I have an immense amount of respect for him. And I think that um, I think that what is happening right now is I think many of us are realizing we could have done so much more. I think that too many companies, too many of us have been um, not outspoken enough on this issue. And not just that there's been silence, but there's not been enough actions. I think the time for boldness is now and it's got to be we got to take significantly more actions. And I think it's important for each of us to not just, you know, speak uh, out publicly or put up, uh, you know, um, you know, f- uh, 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 kind of support on social media. It's yeah. important that we yeah. look ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? Because so, there's really no middle ground here. And to be part of the solution means that we need to not just be a mirror society. We have to be taking proactive steps forward. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do right now. Um, to give you one example, just one example, um, Airbnb has hundreds of millions of people in our community. And the reason we started this company, I mean, we actually didn't start this company as a new way to travel. It wasn't meant to be a real estate like, like listing directory. It was supposed to be a way to connect people, to make people feel like they belong. And in the middle of this crisis, we, that crisis gave us clarity that we need to get back to our roots of belonging and connection. That is why we come to work. Well, the opposite of belonging, the obstacle to it is discrimination. And four years ago, in 2016, um, it, was made, uh, it was brought to our attention that there was discrimination on our platform, that black travelers, particularly in the United States, were being discriminated against when they were trying to get homes on Airbnb. They were being denied requests to stay in homes. Now, this was an existential risk to our entire mission. It wasn't just a responsibility. It undermined the entire premise of Airbnb. And at that time, I said, we should, must do more than what's expected of us because of how critical this issue is. And so we've had a dedicated team work on anti-discrimination on our platform for the last four years. But in the wake of this crisis, it has only galvanized our energy to want to take many, much bigger steps. And we have some news coming, um, coming soon, hopefully, on some more steps we're taking. So this would just be one example. But I think the key is there have to be words, can't be silence. But those words really do need to be backed by actions or they could become platitudes. And I don't think anyone wants every CEO to speak up. And then three weeks later, they move on to the next issue. What I think yeah. people really yeah. want is to see a sustained commitment over years. A hundred percent. I mean, they, they can't. And, and I think they'll be held accountable if there yeah. is not action that follows words. I remember reading that Harvard study when it came out. And then I remember, you know, the ACLU person you brought in to help direct, yeah, Laura Murphy. you know, yeah, three years of work on this issue and the substantive changes you guys did make. Um, can I ask you about some of your numbers? Three and a half percent of your workforce as of 2018 uh, was African-American, the most recent numbers available. Um, and and you have uh, one black board member right now. I, I, I put those numbers out there to ask you about this. You know, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian stepped down from his board position and said, you need to replace me with with a black person. And they have done that. Um, he said, I believe resignation can actually be an act of leadership from people in power right now. Is Airbnb considering that move, replacing some white members, whether it be in the board or leadership with African-Americans or adding to the board or leadership? So I'll, I'll say two things. The first thing I want to say is the person 
who joined the board of Reddit is a person named Michael Seibel. Yeah. Michael Seibel yeah. was my first mentor. Had it not mm. been for Michael Seibel, I'm not sure Airbnb would be here today. Michael Seibel brought us into Silicon Valley, brought me into Silicon Valley well, alongside my co-founder, Joe, and showed us the ropes and got us into Y Combinator. And I have immense gratitude for Michael. So I just wanted to first say that about him. The second thing is um, I think we have, more, we have more room to add board seats on our board. You pointed out we have uh, Ken Chenault. He's the former CEO of Max. He's been another mentor like Michael was to me many years ago. Ken is to me today. And I would love to add more board members um, uh, of color to Airbnb. Absolutely. So that sounds like that's going to happen. I mean, it, it, I would love to. We have three women on the board. We have Ken Chenault. Yeah. We would love yeah. to inc- further increase the diversity of our board. Um, you know, we're kind of playing by year how big we want our board to be and how yeah. frequent, how, how quickly we want to add me- uh, members. But absolutely, we'd like it to be even more diverse and get more perspectives. And what about in, in top leadership? Because when you look at your whole senior leadership yeah. team, you have a lot of women, but you have one black member, a black woman. Does that need to change as well? Because, Brian, you look at a lot of yeah. Silicon Valley, and frankly, some of the biggest companies in Silicon Valley have no African-Americans in leadership. It's a big, big problem in Silicon Valley. And, you know, again, we are not nearly where we need to be. I would love for us to, at some point, not just have, I would love, uh, the basic principle we have is that the demographics of a company should map to the demographics in society, especially where you operate. And we are not yet even a mirror of the demographics of society, let alone even more diverse than that at the most senior levels. Um, and I think that is something that we not only, not only have aspiration to be, but I think it's an imperative to get there. And so we're committed to doing this. And it, it obviously takes uh, you know time and commitment uh, to be able to do this. And it's something that you can't just be committed to doing and burst. It's a very ongoing commitment. And I think this whole conversation right now is just bringing to the attention that this has to take priority over some other matters. Well, look, Brian, I interview a lot of CEOs and a lot of them don't answer questions like that directly and don't say we can do better. We, you know, we will. Um, so thank you for that. Well, the problem is we're uh, on camera and one day someone's going to show the old clips. And so we have to make sure that the things yeah. we're doing, uh, yeah. they kind of they're on the right side of history. And I think sometimes just hmm. Honest acknowledgement of where you are is what all people really want. And then it, a real sense that you are committed to doing better. Yeah. The president advises you, former President Obama. And, um, and I, I'm interested if you've talked to him in recent weeks about this. Um, I have not spoken to him um, about the uh, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, anything since Memorial Day. Um, as I, I have tried to, as, as one can imagine, he obviously is very busy right now. Um, but he's been, you know, he and others have been very, very helpful in providing perspective for me. And, 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 I, and I honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today if not for the generosity of people like the former president and others who've helped us as leaders. So it's been very, very helpful. More from my conversation with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky after the break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now back to my conversation with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. Can you talk a little bit about the clarity of a crisis? You know, you started the company in the middle of the Great Recession, and maybe you thought that was the worst economy you would hit. Uh, but right. now you have this, right? And so, <laughs> yes. you know, I know Andy Grove has been a mentor and a leader and someone that so many business leaders have looked up to, uh, you know, the transformational CEO, uh, formerly of Intel. And, and he says that great companies are made better and improved by a crisis, right? They're already just either destroyed or they're improved. Um, do you do you think that this crisis is going to be one of the things or the thing that defines and how you get through it that defines Airbnb? Yeah, Poppy, I mean, that's a great quote. Um, and that quote that, you know, bad companies destroyed by crisis, good companies survive a crisis, and great companies are better or defined by a crisis, I actually sent that to our entire company. And I always wanted a crisis to be, a, to be an opportunity for us to become better. And I think that I hope we will look back years from now and look back at COVID as a bit of a turning point, a turning point where we realized after 10 years, we had grown so big and so, so sprawling that we, you know, we're doing a lot of things. And I think what the crisis did is it really snapped our focus to get back to basics, back to our roots, back to the reason we did all this in the first place, to really try to bring people together. And so what we're really focused on right now is focused on our host, everyday people that are sharing their homes, that are offering experiences, and really trying to help empower them and bring them together with our guests. It's really, really basic, and that's what, I, that's what we're focused on. And I, I'm hopeful that that focus will actually be something that really helps support our hosts significantly and brings guests together. Yeah, back to basics. I mean, we saw banks back do that basics. after the financial crisis largely. Yeah. Um, Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sir. they were partly forced to by, you know, by, by legislation, but the, you know, the ones that got back to their roots have thrived. Steve Jobs famously you know, yeah. talked about there's a lot Apple can do, but there's only a few things we should do. Is that where your That's head is right. now with your company? Yeah, 100%. Um, Steve Jobs had a saying, 100 no's for every yes. The challenge of business is sometimes you learn a lot more from failure than success, and sometimes success can lead to failures. Success can 
convince you that you can do everything. Somebody once told me when I was in college, Brian, you can do everything in your life, just not at once. Well, some, some, sometimes companies remind themselves of that as well, that you might be able to do anything, but not all at the same time. And I think when you have you know, the 10-year run that we had, where we started in a three-bedroom apartment, and then suddenly you have hundreds of millions of people a decade later using the product, you do believe you can kind of do everything. And I think you can't do everything at the same time. I think one of the most important things Steve Jobs did is he took a product line, got it really back to basics. It was all about the Mac. They got more functionally organized. And they really, I think, got back to excellence, doing a couple things really well. And then they added new things later on top of that foundation. That's where, obviously, the iPod and the iPhone came from. We're going to do the same thing. I mean, oh, hopefully we'll, we'll at least get back to the basics. Whether or not we have a great run is all about our execution over the next, say, five or ten years. You've talked about learning a lot about yourself in a crisis, and I wholeheartedly agree. I've learned a whole lot more about myself from failing than succeeding a a thousand percent. What have you learned about yourself in this crisis? I learned that I can handle a lot more pain than I thought I could. uh, It was, uh, you know, day and night, probably 18 hours a day or 16, 18 hours a day, nonstop for maybe 12 weeks relentlessly. And uh, that, that's one thing I learned, that I can handle more pain than I ever thought I could. The second thing I learned is there's so much more support for Airbnb and us than I not even realized. I think that um, I assume that if we ever had a hard time, you kind of learn who your friends are, you know, like, like they're, 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 they're there on the way up. Are they there on the way down? Well, I was actually pleasantly surprised at the generosity of so many people that reached out. And again, just like I wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be here if not for the mentors and those that helped us, we would not have gone through the crisis if not for the people that really were there to support us and told us they want us to survive. They want everybody to exist. And the third thing I'll just say is, you know, I, I kind of, and I, maybe I was reminded about what's really important in life. And in our context, I used a word in my layoff letter that business leaders don't usually use. I used the word love. I told our employees I have a deep feeling of love for them. It never said it before, but when you have to say goodbye to 2,000 people in the most harrowing period in your life, you realize how important people are to you. And I think at this period of time where we're more physically disconnected than we've been in more than a century, mm-hmm. suddenly mm-hmm. we're not so shy to express like that people are really important to each other. And uh, that's something that I've learned. I I also wonder if you think we are going to revert back to being such a society and economy based on being consumers and consumers of goods and products, right? So, you know, for example, I haven't bought a new piece of clothing in, I don't know, four months, right? And I don't need anything. But we are such an economy and society based on consuming things in the Instagram economy and showing, you know, what new thing we have. And I wonder if you think that's going to change for good and what that's going to mean for you guys, that they're going to spend more doing things together with people and going places than consuming and buying things. I've been predicting that for five or seven years, I think possibly prematurely because I keep saying it and it doesn't happen. I said that um, this, I, I kind of had a line like the stuff that matters in the future won't be stuff. And yet people still buy more stuff than they used to until the, until COVID. I do think one thing has happened. Suddenly, so much of the world we got used to stopped. And in that silence, in that standstill, 
I think we suddenly had to reevaluate everything that we lost and ask, do we want all of those things to return in our life? And I think some of those things, like relationships, our friendships, our family, our ability to maybe go somewhere, have an experience that was meaningful, we're going to probably want those things again. But I think there's a whole bunch of things that maybe we won't want anymore. And so I think that we are going to see a huge shift over mm-hmm. like there, there's there's sometimes decades where there's sometimes decades where not a lot happens. But this is one of those times where in the period of a few months, it seemed like a whole generation of change happened. And in our industry, I would say I do think a couple trends seem to be pretty clear to me and I can speak more for our industry. Number one, I don't think as many people will be tethered to a single city. And I think people will be more distributed in more cities and they're going to travel to more cities. I would call this basically travel redistribution. Mm -hmm. So historically in travel, people would travel to say 20 cities in the world, right? If you look at the top destinations, it's Paris, it's London, it's Rome, it's New York, it's LA, it's Vegas. Now what you're going to see is they're still going to go to those cities, but they're also going to go to a lot of small cities, not just going to be Paris. It'll be Pittsburgh, it'll be Petaluma, it'll be medium and very small towns. It'll be nearby places. I think this is also true of work. If you can do your job remotely, then work from home could literally become work from any home. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're going to start to see a generation of people that don't need to be so tethered to work. They're going to be roaming and traveling. I think business travel will be, um, for a period of time, a lot smaller than it used to be. We're not going to resume all the conventions that we did. We'll resume some of them, not all of them. Um, And people will just be more mobile, but more, you know, more in homes too, I think so. so. So does that mean, I mean, I would be happy to, if I could do my job, you know, from Minnesota, where my husband and I are from. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing to see how that's happening in a lot of industries. What about you? Are you, I know you don't, you know, want to go too far out on a limb um, on this because you just don't know. But Facebook has said, you know, in a decade, half their folks are going to work from home. Do you yeah. think that could be plausible for you guys? I think... I think anything is possible. I, I took a very specific approach in this. I said, in high-changing times, the best principle to have is not to try to predict the future, but to be flexible, to have flexibility for whatever the future could hold. And so I told our employees, no one has to return to work this year if they don't want to. People asked me, when will they return? What percent of people will work? And I said, I think... I. I None of us could have predicted four months ago what the world will look like today. By the way, maybe even a month ago, given what's happening today. Right. So the idea that we are going to, at this period of time, given how fast things are changing, be able to predict what the world will look like even in September, let alone in 10 years, is going to be pretty difficult. And I do think there's a lot more changes coming just because it just feels like one of those moments in history where there's probably a lot of changes. But I do think a couple things are pretty clear. There will be more flexibility. Clearly, more people work remotely. I don't know if it will be half the kind of like kind of desk jobs in the world will be truly remote. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's way too early to say, but I think that we are going through a revolution in office culture. Again, anyone can guess what that will turn into, but it's clearly not going back to what it was. And I also do think it's going to provide more economic opportunity for people yeah. in all sorts of cities yeah. because I think one thing it's clearly going to do is open the talent pool. You know, San Francisco is an expensive city to live. We have a headquarters here. This is going to allow us to potentially hire some people in other markets. But how many, what percent, it's anyone's guess right now. There's a lot of questions around productivity, and we need to play that by ear. 
It certainly has a potential to help a lot of smaller towns in those economies that really, frankly, need it. Uh, let, let me end on this. Fun note, people, for people who don't know, you have been sheltering in place with your mom. So, yes, Brian Chesky, what's it like to run a multi-billion dollar company that may IPO this year living with your mom? Well, let me tell you a story. Uh, my mom is a social worker growing up, and I went to art school. And when I went to art school, my mom told me um, that she was nervous that I'd become an artist and I wouldn't get a job. And I said, I promise I'll get a job. And she says, if you promise you get a job, make sure you have a job with health insurance. <laughs> and I promised her that I wouldn't be an unemployed artist living home with my mom. And here I go, more than a decade later, having started this huge company, but I'm still back with my mom. So I, I've made some many steps forward, but we're still together, I guess. And that's a beautiful thing uh, that you are. Brian Chesky, I appreciate your time today, um, your candor and your commitment. Um, good luck. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for being with me today for a special bonus episode of Boss Files. We're taking a short break this summer, but we will be back very soon with more conversations. Be sure to check out past episodes of Boss Files as well as CNN's other great podcasts. You can find them all at CNN.com slash podcasts. Boss Files is a production of CNN Audio. Felicia Patinkin is a senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episode was produced by Zach St. Louis, Haley Drasnan, and Rachel Cohn. And a special thanks to Megan Marcus, Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. And our production assistant, Rebecca Flagaris. As always, tell me what you think. Who do you want to hear from? Or just say hello on social media. I'm at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back soon. Thanks so much for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.